So the first big budget superhero movie was Superman, the 1978 Superman. Best movie ever made. Best movie we've ever seen. Never seen? Never, Never. seen. I haven't seen it. <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> I'll be honest. But uh, I've seen, I know I've seen it on TV at least once in my life. Sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, it starts with this guy named Ilya Salkind, who's a third-generation movie producer. And him and his dad get into a battle with DC just trying to get the comic book rights for Superman. And they finally do. And then... When I started researching this, it looked like, oh man, Selkin puts together an all-star team. He hires Mario Puzo as a screenwriter, and Mario Puzo has just won two Oscars at this point in time for Godfather Part 1 and Godfather Part 2. So, dude knows what he's doing. You'd think he knows what he's doing. So maybe he okay. doesn't. Some ominous foreshadowing here. Indeed, yeah, indeed. good, crazy. <laughs> okay. Uh, and worried. so then... <laughs> And then the studio starts uh, courting some famous directors at the time. They're talking to Francis Ford Coppola, who had just directed Godfather Part 1 and 2, uh, Steven Spielberg, who had just come off of Jaws, and William Friedkin, who had just come off The Exorcist. Okay. But then they settle on this guy named Richard Donner, and Richard Donner would go on to do the Lethal Weapon franchise. Okay. And he was Good actually stuff. he was brought on as the producer executive producer for X-Men for the first X-Men movie. Oh, sure. Yeah. So he like he established himself as a a superhero movie maker by doing these Superman uh Superman movies, so. Sure. So he would be the hero of our story. I think Ilya Selkin's like the evil mastermind. Richard Donner's the hero who comes <laughs> around to save the movie. So he just done the Omen which uh, had a budget production budget of two point eight million, but then grossed uh, sixty one million. Killer man, that's awesome. And the Omen also had the first on screen decapitation oh, in movie wow. history. So he was like he had done some work with special effects. He pioneered some sure special effects, right? So I think out of everybody in this movie, he was the only one who really went on to be a success. Like everybody else just nothing goes it's almost like these superman movies are cursed really yeah like marlon brando who was cast as superman's dad jor-el only became more crazy Ilya salkin never really produced a movie worth mentioning the other screenwriters who helped mario puzo didn't really do anything worthwhile christopher reeve broke his neck <laughs> Riding a horse. Wow. Like, yeah, out of the Superman movies, the only person to really go on and establish themselves was... Donner. R Richard, Richard Donner. Hmm. Um, so then in our story here, Marlon Brando comes in as the element of chaos. I think every movie has... You've got your villain, you've got a superhero, and then you have this, like, unplanned, unpredictable, chaotic element that comes in and kind of... Some outside the force for, that yeah. ruins the plan. That is Marlon Brando. <laughs> <laughs> because he was, uh, like, I think he just finished his first phase of being Fat Brando at this point in time. Sure. Um, finished? Or he was still in it? Yeah, no, because when he's in this movie, he's he's lean, right? Okay. So he, lean, he got lean, and then he became So he's just coming Brando out of character. Apocalypse Now or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. So they hire him as, to play Jor-El, so he's mostly in just the opening part of the movie. They have to pay him $3.7 million and 11% of the gross. Oh, wow. That's a good contract. 
well <laughs> done, right. Brando. Brando, yeah. So at this point in time, like he is one of the most. I think everybody still calls him the greatest actor of all time. He pioneered the method acting, method one acting. (laughs) 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 Acting. Uh, Trend. But then he starts going crazy like in the 70s. So he has his his big movies in the 50s and 60s. In the 70s, he's a big name, but he's starting to go a little bit nuts. Like it's like he's in love with himself and studios are just willing to pay him a bunch of money so that they can attach his name to a movie. Because even if he's nuts and hard to work with, people will go see it because he's in it. And I think, like, I was just watching Apocalypse Now, and he is awesome. And I can't say what makes him awesome, mm-hmm. but it's just, like, when he speaks, you want to listen to everything he says. I, huh. Like, I don't know what it is, but I get the... I get... You get Brando. it. Brando. Yeah. Sure. But I mean, I think Will Smith is kind of the same. I've... He's sort of I, right now, anyways, or or at least in the last twenty years, he's kind of been the guy that, if you want your movie to just make a ton of money, put Will Smith in it. Yeah, you know, yeah, people are just gonna watch him. People, a lot of people will buy tickets to any Will Smith movie. And do you know, like, what was the first like Pursuit of Happiness and I Am Legend? Yeah, he was awesome. He's let me yeah, that's a that is true. He's a very good actor. I think I really enjoy his acting. And and like Marlon Brando, he is also insane. Is he? Is he? Crazy yeah, like if you set? read interviews with him, he is. Well, he's just gone crazy. Like he says, his religion is math because he's a scientist at heart, and he's like, I'm just looking for that one equation to everything. <laughs> like great impression. I thought that was Will Smith <laughs> joined our podcast for a second. Oh man! Oh hell no! <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! That's straight that's perfect oh hell no wow it sounds exactly that, yeah. like him that is like pretty much every that is his line in every movie <laughs> that is but, so that's true he does he does right? say that a lot doesn't like he? like man welcome Black. to earth welcome to earth oh hell no <laughs> oh. Man in black he finds out there's aliens oh hell no <laughs> hitch he gets an allergic reaction to shellfish Oh hell no! Wow. Like, <laughs> I want, there's got to be a YouTube compilation. I wish we had a Jamie from uh, from Joe Rogan to just look up everything while we're talking. <laughs> well, we'll Jamie, look that up real quick. We'll get there. First. Jamie, Jamie, look that up. We'll get there one day. But yeah, so Brando, Will Smith, both uh, good actors, both also crazy. Sure. Like just as an example of Brando's crazy, he's supposed to play a Green Beret in Apocalypse Now. He shows up on set and he's three hundred pounds. Classic, Green and he beret hasn't. Re- style. <laughs> That's what a green beret in the jungle during the Vietnam War looks like, right? I'm of course you're three hundred pounds. Three hundred pounds. So much, there's so much cake and ice cream to eat in Vietnam. It's all the bananas, <laughs> right? So much fructose. So he shows up. He's three hundred pounds. He's um. He hasn't read the script. He doesn't know any of his lines. His contract is that he only works weekdays and he doesn't work after 5.30. Wow. Lots of days he brings Francis Ford Coppola into his trailer when they're supposed to be filming. And he just starts arguing with him about the movie, but he's really just trying to kill time because he's getting paid to be there. He just doesn't want to work. (laughs) He just doesn't want to work. Wow. And so because he's 300 pounds, the way they got around filming him was they just filmed all his scenes like in the dark or like with very, very low Mm -hmm. lighting. So you couldn't tell that he was 300 pounds. Crazy. Matt, how frustrating. This, this says so many things. Like imagine being the director and 
this your like star actor who you're probably paying handsomely to be there. Yeah. You're paying him a ton of money. He shows up supposed to be this ripped, you know, Navy SEAL, and instead you've got uh, a literal SEAL. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? Are you kidding me? And then, and then he's just like a pain in the ass the entire time you're filming. And so not only do you have to, I mean, I mean the patience that this guy's got to have, but also the ingenuity. And this, I, I imagine, is part of what makes a good director is you get handed this just crap. Yeah. And he's still, he's like, okay, well, instead of like, I'm not going to go cry about it. Let's figure out how to make it work. What if we scrap all these scenes and these ones we can do it in the dark and these ones we'll just do with someone else or whatever he does, throws it all together and now you've got fat Marlon Brando in the dark and nobody knows that he's a walrus. Now that's a very um, optimistic view of what Francis Ford Coppola did. Okay. But the truth is actually, like he had to put up his own money for this film. Jeez. And if it didn't turn out, he was going to be bankrupt pretty much. So he had to make it work. He was having like regular nervous breakdowns. Um, while sure. they were f- filming was supposed to take five months mm-hmm. it ended up taking over a year uh, a typhoon came through where they were filming in the Philippines and destroyed a lot of their expensive sets that they built Wow! Brando shows up and he's crazy like all these other things happened he made a documentary called Hearts of Darkness about making it and, and what a struggle it was and he said Apocalypse Now isn't a movie about Vietnam. It was Vietnam. <laughs> but there, you so, know what? I stand by what I said, though. I think a lesser director might oh, have just yeah. quit or put out crap. Would have crumbled. And I think, like, just personally, I know sometimes you get employees who are highly skilled superstars. Yeah. But they are also temperamental or crazy. Yeah. And you need to... And we can talk about how Richard Donner did this. Like it is, it was just an amazing. It's a management move, really, rather mm-hmm. than being an artistic director. Like, I think that's the thing with Richard Donner and making the Superman movies, is that he wasn't just like a director; he was a good manager. Yeah. And so, I mean, truthfully, that's probably a large percentage of directing. Yeah. You know, because so, you are you're directing people, right? Like that's that's what the position is, and they're highly skilled. Very temperamental people. Yeah. With huge egos. Yeah. Egos that they've earned, but you've got to navigate that and bend them to your will somehow, right? Yeah. And I think you find that in the workplace. There's some people who are like temperamental with bad attitudes, but whatever their skill set is, they are actually so good at what they do that it's like, I can't fire these people. Right. Because they're actually so good at this one thing, but damn it, like. Terrell Owens, man. Or Terrell Owens. That? Who's that? He was a wide receiver. I don't know if he's still playing football, but he was like like the best wide receiver since Jerry Rice or whatever. Oh, okay. Look, I'm probably going to get flat yeah, from yeah, our yeah. eight yeah. listeners. <laughs> but uh, he was a very good wide receiver, but he was yeah. just a drama queen right. and causing a ton of problems. Eventually, somebody, a few people fired him, I think. I think he, right. near the end of his career, he was bouncing around teams like every year because yeah. he was just too much to deal with. But... Um, before that, he was just when he was in his prime, he was just killing it. Super good at football, yeah. And he and then I think part of it is he knew he was good, mm-hmm. so he could be whatever kind of a hole he wanted, and he figured he was immune to any kind of discipline because they needed him. And so I think, like I think, uh, when you're lacking skill as a manager, sometimes you end up just tiptoeing around around these 
highly skilled but temperamental people. Yeah, you just let them do what they want. And then you kind of, you don't end up fixing the problem. But, like, Donner runs into Marlon Brando's craziness when he's directing Superman. Brando brings him into his trailer and says, hey, you know, we don't really know what uh, people from the planet Krypton look like, you know. How do we know they didn't look like green bagels? I was thinking I could play Jor-El as a bagel and just do the voice work. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? And and like a weaker director would have been like, oh my gosh, how am I going to tell Marlon Brando no? Right? Yeah. Like, I I don't I don't know. Right. But um, Donner says to him, there isn't a kid in this world that doesn't know what Jor-El looks like, and Jor-El looks like Marlon Brando. And that really like flattered Marlon Brando and was like, Oh yeah, you know, you're right. There you and there take you me go, to man. take me to wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> I am Jorel. I am Jorel. And that's that's like is that is that like a quote? Is that what happened? That is yeah, that is the exact Donner told the story like in a documentary. People were asking him about it. And he told the story. There's a lot, a bit more detail to it. Sure. Like he, he phoned Francis Ford Coppola and said like how the hell do you work with Marlon Brando and Francis? Coppola told him, like, if you keep him talking, he'll talk his way out of any problem. So you just keep talking to him, and he's like, he's got an eccentric mind, and you just give him a bit of praise, and he'll he'll work it out. Right? There it is, and that's good management, man. This guy wants to. This guy would rather play a green bagel <laughs> than just put his own face on camera. Yeah, and all you got to do is say, you know what, man. But the role was built for you because you look so good. Oh, good. And he's yeah. like, well, I do look good. Okay, let's do it. And I think, like, I found that actually with some some people is that if you go to them and you, you tell them, like, you're not doing this, you're not doing this, you're not doing this, you're not doing this, they all of a sudden get, like, really, really defensive. and they're Sure. Like, and they're ready to storm off or quit on you. But if you go to them and say, oh, man, I've got this problem and I just don't know how to fix it and – Oh, I think you're like the only person who could help me do this. They're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. What can you need me? Yeah, yeah. I can do that. Oh yeah. Let me help you out. Yeah. 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 Truth man. I've, I've read a study where, uh, people who I'm going to butcher this, but I think the gist is basically you move into a new neighborhood and you bring yeah. people cookies, like all your neighbors cookies. Like that's nice. But if you go and ask your neighbors to borrow something or ask them for their help, yeah, they will like you so much more it's far more effective at building a positive relationship when you put yourself at the mercy of someone else and ask them to go out of their way to help you yeah and that like that is pretty much what donner did to manage uh marlon brando (laughs) it makes no sense but that's that's the psychology yeah so yeah good wow i mean we could do another episode just on directors or just management but we're talking about this a lot. So yeah, okay. So, so Donner's so, killing it with uh, so with he bucket. he solves the Marlon Brando problem. Yep. His next problem is the script, the Puzo script. So Puzo script for Superman one and two. They wrote the movies and directed them and produced them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Five hundred and fifty pages. So when I first saw that, it's like five hundred and fifty pages. I guess that makes sense. Like I've never. But the thing is, five hundred fifty pages. You're thinking of a novel. Exactly. And 550 is like a good size for a novel, you know? That's like an inch and a half. Yeah. An inch and so, a half of book. But we're for, talking eight and a half by 11. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, so I guess the rule of thumb I found out, because I Googled it, I'm like 550 pages of script. How long would that take? And I guess the rule of thumb 
for script writing is one page equals one minute of screen time. So 550 pages, we're at... Uh, 550 minutes, which is just over nine hours. Nine hours. But who wouldn't want to watch a nine-hour Superman movie? <laughs> movie. Like, this is pretty much writing Game of Thrones, like wow. season one, right? Like, Yeah, right. <laughs> wow. So Donna reads the script, and not only is it 550 pages long for two movies, it is, like, just full of terrible, campy, silly jokes. Sure. So it is in the spirit of, like, the Adam West Batman okay. with, like, the POW screens when they throw punches. Sure, he's keeping it light. Yeah, just like that. And so Richard well, Donner looks And that's, like, script. all the Superman that we've had on screen. Well, we haven't had... That's all you've... Like, I get, like, Batman... There was the 1964 Batman with Adam West, and that that movie was more meant to launch the TV series. But that was... Yeah, exactly. That was all we had as a superhero movie up until that point. What were the comics like at that point? The Superman comics? Were they were they goofy like the Batman TV show? I don't think they were as serious as what they are now. Hmm. I think, like, comics were still kind of kiddie stuff, right? Sure. It wasn't, like... Comics started to evolve their storylines kind of in the 80s, I think. Become a little bit more serious and, and a little bit more graphic. Hopefully some nerd listens to this and, like, corrects us. GarageBandDads at gmail.com. <laughs> it's hey, a real email. It's a real email. <laughs> we are <laughs> literally waiting. I watch all day. <laughs> I have a separate phone just for that. Just for so this. So I know I don't miss it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so why do they want to turn the superhero movie from... Is this the first... Well, is this the first real superhero movie since... Yeah, like, big budget movie. Like, huh. right? Okay. And so Donner just doesn't want to make a crappy movie. And and I don't think that people actually really want to see comic book movies or superhero movies. People want to see good movies. And I mean as we talk about as we get into like sure. the superhero movies of the 90s we'll see like the difference between a good and bad comic book movie, but like Donner's just trying to make a good movie with compelling characters and a good script that people will watch. And the fact that the character is Superman is really just incidental, right? Sure. He just wants to tell a good story. And if the character's named Superman, so be it. Okay. Right? And so he brings on this guy named Tom Mankiewicz to do rewrites. And so at this point in time, Tom had done a few James Bond movies. <clears throat> so he had experience with the action-adventure genre. Um, okay. But by the time he was finished, not one word of the Puzo script was still there. Wow, just so totally he revamped rewrote, it. But I guess there is some issue with the Screenwriters Guild, and so Puzo stays on as the screenwriter in the credits, even though his script wasn't used. <laughs> wow. And then uh, Tom Mankiewicz, Donner put him on as like a creative consultant, but he was the guy who actually wrote the script and he went on to become a script doctor and rewrite a bunch of other movies for Hollywood. Okay. So he's like our sidekick in this story. Sure. So, um, and then they find Keanu, uh, not Keanu, Christopher Reeve as a uh, Superman. And they wanted like, eventually at first they approached a bunch of big names to play Superman, but then eventually the studio decided we want like a no name actor to play Superman. And I think about that. If you cast Sylvester Stallone as Superman, you wouldn't be able to see Superman through the Sylvester Stallone-ness. Yeah, that's fair. 
you know what I mean? Like Tom Cruise, for example, plays Tom Cruise in every movie. He never he plays a character. He's just an intense guy who runs all the time. <laughs> yes. Like there's always a running scene of Tom Cruise. Because Tom it. Cruise is, is a, he looks like a fast runner. Well, he was a sprinter in high school, but that's like, oh. not important. But <laughs> I, I just saw an interview, one of his interviews, and he says right. he's worked really hard to look like he runs fast it's on fast. screen. Right. And I feel like he does. He's accomplished that. <laughs> he's, if nothing yeah. else, he looks fast on camera. Yeah. Good job, Tom. But whether you're watching like Mission Impossible or that other movie he was in, yeah, that wasn't Mission I remember Impossible. That one. I remember seeing that one. It's pretty much it's just like oh, there's Ethan Hunt again. There's Ethan Hunt flying <laughs> an F-15. Right. There's Ethan Hunt in space. There's yeah, he Ethan just Hunt. plays Tom Cruise. He's and just so, Tom Cruise, right? So most of most of his roles are probably written with him in mind. Mind, yeah. And so I think with this, they're like, you get a no a no name actor, you have a blank slate. Yeah. And all people will see is Superman. And you know, Chris, uh, Christopher Reeve didn't really go on to do much else after Superman, and I think it's because he was just Superman. Sure. And I think like Hugh Jackman he became will, Superman. It's the same kind of thing with Hugh Jackman and Wolverine. Like he'd done Kate and Leopold, and nobody really know, knew who he was. Yep. At that point, but hey, now he is Wolverine, and he will forever be Wolverine. Yeah. I think another one was J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man movies. Right. So, spoiler alert here, but in the new Spider-Man movie, uh, whatever it is, Far From Home or whatever, mm-hmm. J. Jonah Jameson comes back, and they had to cast J.K. Simmons again. Oh. Who was the who was J. Jonah Jameson in the original Spider Man trilogy? And I right. think it's because no one else can play J. Jonah Jameson. He just does a perfect job. He, it was so perfect. Yeah. That it's like we can't cast anybody else. Even if this is like different continuity or whatever, we have to cast the same guy. Because he was such a good huh. J. Jonah Jameson, right? And he, he just fits the role. I mean sometimes so, good. so that's interesting. You get into uh, I'm going off on a tangent, but whatever. Yeah. Sometimes you get guys like uh Okay, Daniel Radcliffe, I think he cannot be not Harry Potter. Harry Potter, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's in some other movies, but it's just like, it's just Harry Potter in yeah. other movies. Yeah. And even, I hate to say this, but John Krasinski, like, he's he's working really hard to not be Jim from The Office, but he's always Jim he's Halpert. Jim. He's doing yeah. a better job than Radcliffe, I think, at that, but still, well... There's still like half of Jim and everything, and I'm just waiting in the quiet place. He's like running after aliens with a shotgun, and I'm just waiting for him to like look at the camera and smirk before it bites his head. Yeah, off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or give like yeah, out in the wilderness, and he comes up with some ridiculously romantic gift for Emily Blunt, right? Yeah, or his kids, his kids like open their backpack to pull out the only weapon they have, and it's stuck in the thing of Jello. Yeah, like. But but uh, so some people get pigeonholed as the as that role, yeah. But then other people are born to play a role, like we're gonna get to. But Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, like the best thing ever for his career. I think he was made for that. I agree, and I think at that point in time, he had disappeared in rehab for like ten years. Yeah, he'd been gone and for so a while. When he came back to play Tony Stark, nobody knew him as. Oh, Robert Downey Jr. and what? Like the kids who well, were seeing Iron Man. I don't think he, he even made waves before that. Like he was an actor, but I don't think he was. He wasn't. He was, he was like at the bottom of the A list or the top of the B. I think like in the late 80s, early 90s, he was like he was a rising star. And then it was drugs. He got into drugs and he spent like 
the mid nineties in and out of rehab. Sure. Right. And so y'all like, y'all of a sudden came back. Cause I remember 2008 there's Tropic Thunder and there was Iron Man and it was like, where the hell did Robert Downey Jr. Came, come from? Yeah. Right? He just came because he'd been gone in rehab well, for and so long. Yeah, yeah. And I, maybe he was a rising star. I don't know enough of his stuff before 2008. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just looking through a list here and I'm not seeing anything, seeing he, anything I really he know. He was a bad guy in U.S. Marshals. I think you made me watch that movie like a million times. Oh, yeah. Tommy Lee that Jones, movie. man. I don't remember anything but that. He was the bad guy. He was, was he? In yeah. U.S. Marshals. Air America, don't know that. That's Mel Gibson. I don't know why I haven't seen that. Yeah, there he is U.S. Marshals. So, yeah, maybe he was killing it before that. Like he was, he he, he got, was in a lot of stuff. Actually, he was in it looks like a movie every year, pretty much, so, since the eighties. Yeah, it was just. But he went away, yeah, and yeah. I certainly didn't really know him. No. Like I think I knew the name, but I didn't really know the guy until Iron Man. Yeah, exactly. I think like that was what made him really good as Tony Stark was that it wasn't like watching Robert Downey Jr. play Tony Stark. He could just be yeah, Tony Stark. It was just Tony Stark. Absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah, for sure. So I think that's a good like Edward Norton playing the Hulk, it's like, uh I can't huh. stop seeing that idiot from the illusionist right. pretending to be Bruce Banner. <laughs> Which <laughs> that's funny, man. That's interesting. Because <laughs> it's truth. Like yeah. I I like Edward Norton. He's a good actor. Oh, well. I, I generally like his stuff, but that Hulk movie was just not not good. <laughs> and him as Hulk, I just don't buy it. That's part of the problem. I just don't buy him being the being Banner. I just don't buy him. Like I just I You're just I, not a Norton fan. No that is the nicest way to put it. Okay. Like, <laughs> I understand. Do I have a picture of him in a closet in my house with his eyes poked out? Maybe. <laughs> Ed, if you're listening to this, don't. Yeah. That's just, he's crazy. Ed, we hate you. Okay. No, I, anyways. <laughs> All right. Okay, so another thing uh, Mankiewicz and uh, Donner did when they rewrote the script and redid the movie was they added a lot of depth in the thematic elements of the movie. So they uh, Mankiewicz pretty much wrote the nativity story as a Superman story. Right. So at the start of the movie, you have Superman's dad, who's like a god figure. Yeah. And he casts out Zod, who's like Satan, and then sends his only son to Earth to save mankind. Right. And Superman is sent to a family that has no other children. Sure. That can't have children. Uh-huh. So it is like... It's like the very same thing. heavily thematic of, of Christian imagery. And if you think about the percentage of Americans who are Christians, that's a story that's going to resonate with them. Sure. Right. And I think like there's even a quote that Jorel says. Um, he says, they can be a great people, Cal-El, and they wish to be. They only lack the light to show the way. For this reason, above all, their capacity for good, I have sent them to you, my only son. Yeah. Like, I just feel like I'm reading out of the Bible right now. It, yeah, it sounds straight out of the Bible. Right? So it, <clears throat> they, they take these themes and they take this general storyline. And I think the story of Jesus Christ, of, you know, God's only son coming to earth, but not using his power... 
for evil, using his power to sacrifice himself for all mankind. Yeah. That story is what drives Western altruism, I think. Like, that's why we look at ourselves as North America and we're like, we have so much. And with our great riches, we have to save the whole damn world. Huh, interesting. Right? I, I, think, I think that story has driven why Westerners try to do good. Sure. Right? And so that's the story you're telling in Superman. And so that story... We're going to resonate with it. It's going to resonate with everybody, right? And it's going to inspire people. And people are going to walk out of that movie and say, I want to be like Superman because Superman is pretty much like Jesus. Yeah. Like they might not be making that connection in their head. But I think sure. they're, it's a, a very similar kind of example that they're going to follow, right? Part of it anyways, right? Yeah. So... Those are the things that Richard Donner did to really save the Superman movie and to make it a huge success. And it was very, like, financially... Um, it did great, right? It killed it, it. 300 million on a budget of 55 million. And that's in 1978. Yeah, right? that's huge. So, yeah. So people loved... People did love superheroes. We've always loved superheroes. But you're right. It, there are gods, right? You go back yeah. to that. I mean, people have always loved... Um, fantastic tales about superhuman forces fighting it out, good versus evil, on a grand cosmic scale. We've always loved that since the beginning of time. And, but we don't like we don't just like superheroes. We like superheroes that resonate with us, that that are relatable, that are inspiring. Yes. We don't just like super people for the sake of super people, right? Like the the story has to be interesting. I think like I had to read Beowulf in university and Beowulf, like at the end ruins, everything falls apart and dies. Right. And he, like mm. he, he, he's kind of tragic in the end. That's what makes Beowulf a good story is that Beowulf's like the rest of us. Just a normal person. He, in a lot of ways, he, but he was, he wasn't just like, cause I think you get some superhero movies where it's like, Here's our hero, and he does heroic things because that's what heroes do because he's a hero. And you're like, that's not interesting. Yeah. Well, that's why I've I've always I've never liked Superman. Yeah. He's my least favorite superhero, and for that reason, he's just he's good at everything. He has every power. Yeah. And he just like you can't really beat him. But I think like he. Uh, yeah. I think he, what gives him some depth. I think when they make him like the Messiah. That's what inspires people is that he has the it's that he has great power and he only uses it for good. Yeah, and I think like I think that's what the yeah. I agree with you. Like he's a boring hero to watch because he's invulnerable to everything and he's all powerful and it's just like playing a video game on God mode. Yes. Right? But I but I think what, I see what you're saying though, and I think you may be on to something. You know, I had a talk with like this or about this with Jordan the other day. I mean with our mutual yeah. friend who yeah. will rename nameless. Yeah. And uh, we're talking about the difference between, like, if you're reading the same book written twice, where one of the, the protagonists in one of them is like Frodo, who's just, you know what, he's just going to go take that ring to Mordor no matter what. Yeah. And he has no business doing that. There's no reason for that he should be the guy doing that. There's no experience. But he's just, it kind of fell into his lap. And just because he's a good guy, he's going to do it. Versus someone who, like, I, I guess I can do that. And he like starts maybe on the journey and then he's like, eh, this is hard. I'm going to, I'm going to go home. 
and then maybe changes his mind. You know, his course wavers throughout the tale because he's a human like the rest of us, and as much as we all try to be awesome, we can only manage that for for stints. We all fall down, fall back over and over again in different things. And so, yeah, we're talking about how interesting a book would be with uh, different heroes like that. Yeah. And maybe the reason people like fantasy or just heroic fantasy or just or just fiction in general is they like the hero, the protagonist who can um who's quote unquote infallible. They just like point their nose in the right direction and just keep going. Yeah. You know, like Superman. Well, you know, while you're talking about Lord of the Rings, like I read I've only ever read The Fellowship of the Ring. But Aragorn in Lord of the Rings the book is just like I'm Aragorn. I'm the hero. I do what heroes do. I'm gonna. Yeah, be right. But then in the movie, he's conflicted and he's afraid and he's running from his destiny. And then finally, he has yeah. to overcome his own pride. And so I think, like, if they made a literal by the book adaptation of Lord of the Rings, it would be terrible. Yeah, I. I. No think, one would watch that. I think the and, audience has changed. Yeah, I think we as a con- as a consuming audience of this kind of media. We have changed. What we like has changed. And maybe because we've seen so much of that hero who's just always does the right thing that we want something a little bit different now. Well, I don't, I don't know if heroes have always... Because, like, Hercules had some weaknesses. He lost his power. He had to complete trials to get his power back. Yeah. Like, we haven't always had heroes that were just heroic. Like, I think that those heroes that just are heroic and never face real adversity or just boring. I don't yeah. think that's ever resonated with anybody. I, yeah, that's where I might disagree, but no, that's interesting. <laughs> but I think like I, I, what I think Tolkien did well, T- Tolkien did well was he was really good at w- world building. I yeah. think that's why his stories are continue to persist. Is oh, that's the truth because yeah, he, just because of all the all the world building was like, absolutely his like world huge, building was amazing, right? Huge part of what made him successful. I think characters not so interesting. I think Peter Jackson did a lot to make the characters a lot more interesting. Yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> I mean, you don't I, have to d- agree with me. But no, no, I no, it. I'm serious. Like, I don't want to crap on Tolkien, but yeah, I think that you're right. I think that had his books been written for the first time now, yeah. with all the fantasy that we know, I mean. He invented elves, dwarves, orcs, like the whole the whole thing. Yeah, everything the, we know about fantasy, fantasy. like ninety percent of that is all of his stuff. So of course it was going to do well because it was all new. Mm-hmm. And he, that's like that was the genius of him, right? Was yeah. that he could create and synthesize all these different legendary characters and describe them very very well and invent their own languages and like that was what he did really really well. Yeah, his characters are uninteresting as he wrote them yeah might be i don't i haven't read them recently enough to really have right. a valid opinion but i think i think you're onto something like when i read fellowship of the ring i had to commit to it like 10 pages a day like it was a it was a slog yeah like it was yeah it's just tough to get through but sure all right anyway this really is telling me i need to read them again well it's just good actually i'm reading the silmarillion right now and that's like reading the bible i think it's it's lore heavy. It's just a ton yeah. of lore. It's a world yeah. building manual. Yeah. So okay. So anyway, Superman. <laughs> yeah, Superman. So we're making a Superman movie. 
we got all these famous people. It's a it's a it was a success. Superman two. Richard Donner got fired partway through it. But Why did they seven, fire him? Um, the studio said you're uh, over time and over budget. He said you never gave me a timeline or a budget. Huh. That was pretty much the fight they got in. Was they kept saying you're over budget. He said you never told me a budget. I'm making this movie. Right. And so. So they're like, nah, see you later. Yeah. So I don't know if he either. I think like if you ask the studio, he was fired. If you ask him, he left. Uh, but the movie is 75% complete. And then they brought on this guy, Richard Lester, who hasn't really done anything worth mentioning uh, to finish it. And he actually did a bunch of rewrites and reshoots so that he could get the director credit. Because oh. I guess a certain percentage of the movie has to be directed by him to get the director credit. Wow. And um, so I guess you see a bunch of continuity errors where, like in the reshoots where... Superman's more bulky because Christopher Reeve continued to like work out and put on muscle. Uh, sure. And then like Lois Lane is what lost weight and changed her hair color. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. And so then you get Superman three. So Richard Donner's gone. He's not able to save the day anymore. And now Selkind and uh, the Newmans who had written the script with, uh, with Puzo, they're free to make the movie they originally wanted to make. Right. And Superman three is like a dumpster fire. Like this movie is just, they bring on Richard Pryor, who is like one of the world's best stand-up comedians at that point in time, yeah. into a superhero movie. And not <laughs> just a superhero movie, but like two superhero movies that pretty much told the story of Jesus Christ. Right. And then you bring in this foul-mouthed stand-up <laughs> comedian <laughs> in the follow-up, right? <laughs> and uh, like reviews for Superman 3, like the critics said, this movie crapped on the original. And I think I don't think critics realized it. They probably didn't consciously think it, but they were like, in the back of their mind, they're like, why am I so defensive of the first two Superman movies? Oh, yeah, because it's like all these religious stories that my parents told me growing up and sure. that I learned about in school, and now they're like yeah. making a mockery. <laughs> sure. Of it, right? Well, and also Superman's like the original superhero. He's been around. That's, yeah. You know, he's like the first guy. He is. He's the Tolkien of... Of superheroes. Of superheroes. So there's got to be a little bit of respect anyways. Even though I hate him, like, I get that. Yeah. So, so there... And, the, like, the movie is just... Like, the plot is ridiculous. Like, they make this kryptonite that isn't powerful enough to kill Superman. It just turns him evil, so he becomes evil Superman. <laughs> and then he runs around the world pulling pranks, like, straightening out the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And then goes on a drinking binge... And then meets this wow. blonde seductress who asks him to um, cut his hair, and he says, "No, that's the source of my power." No, 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 no. <laughs> she asks him to put a hole in an oil tanker. Why? Uh, because something, something. Richard Pryor is trying to control the world's oil. Sure. Okay. I don't know. Something, something. She's a bad guy, though. Is this part yeah, of her plan? Yeah, she's a bad guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. And she promises to sleep with him. So he goes and punches a hole in the oil tanker, and then he shows up at her apartment. And then, like, this sleazy, soft porno saxophone music starts playing. And she has a rod of kryptonite in her butt. No. And when he <laughs> tries to... It's almost that silly, but not quite. Okay. I should they write just a start, Superman movie. Like... I, I think I've got a good script right there. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, get Richard Donner to do the first two, and then just follow it up with that. With that. Like, oh, it's about what happened. And so... Superman, this woman start making out, and then it cuts to a scene of the adjacent apartment. This woman's reading her book, 
and you can just hear all these moans coming through the wall. Right. And she takes cotton out of her pillow and stuffs her ears. <laughs> and then the scene cuts to black. And like, and then Superman, evil Superman and Clark Kent split. And then Clark Kent gets in a fight with evil Superman and strangles him to death. Wait, what? Yeah, so he, he hates being evil Superman. So righteous Clark Kent and evil Superman split into two people. Two physical they, people? Yeah, maybe it's like a manifestation of what's in his mind. I don't know, okay. but like they get into a fist fight and he sure. strangles evil Superman to death and then becomes good again. Starting to sound worse. So I hate that it, stuff. Yeah. Okay. So it made like it made sixty million on a budget of thirty nine million. Not as good as the first one. No, and then I think if you consider like advertising and marketing costs, it probably didn't end up making any money. Yeah. And then they did Superman four. In 1987. Oh, they did a fourth one. I didn't even they know did, that. It, well, I mean, it grossed 15 million on a budget of 17 million. What? 15 on a budget of 17? Yeah, so it lost 2 million against the budget. Wow. Not including sales and marketing or anything like that. And then. That um, sucks. It was also voted number 40 on a list of the worst 50 movies ever made. <laughs> wow. That's all for part one. Please join us again for part two where we get into Tim Burton's Batman and the superhero movies of the 1990s. Don't forget to write us a review or send hate mail to garagebanddads at gmail.com.